Psalm 146. Father, we thank you for this time, and we do lift up Vacation Bible School. There are so many churches doing it, Lord, and we're here to reach our community. We're not in competition with each other. Not at all. We're in competition against the devil, Lord. We want to win souls. And so, Father, we ask you to bless every single Bible-believing church that's doing a Vacation Bible School this year. That children, young adults, they'd get saved. They'd come to the saving knowledge of Jesus that they are stinking little sinners and need a Savior. Open their eyes to the truth, Lord. And we pray for all the volunteers that, that make everything happen around here. Not just at VBS, but throughout the whole week. Thank you for all the volunteers that serve and do so many things. that So many things that people never even see. But according to your word, they're storing up treasure in heaven. What a blessing, Father. And Lord, we thank you that we get to come and and open your word this morning. This is such a precious love letter. You love us so much. Father, we pray for soft hearts. We we pray for our minds right now. Whatever is taking place this week, whatever is weighing us down, what is ever distracting us even right now at this very second, We want to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and surrender our minds right now to your word. That we might spend these few minutes in eternity learning about your love, your grace, your mercy, as well as your judgment. There is judgment here and coming. Soften our hearts, open our ears, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Psalm 146. Now, we don't know. You'll notice in Psalm 146, it doesn't have a heading like David or Solomon or whoever it might be. So we don't know exactly who wrote this song, but it does have the characteristics of David. And the rabbis often will say the following psalms are most likely written by the previous psalm, the author of the previous psalm. And you'll see in Psalm 145, it says a praise of David. So they say that, but since the Bible doesn't say that, I'm not going to say that. We don't know. But whoever wrote this, we immediately noticed that he made a commitment to praise God as long as he lives, no matter what. And that's an interesting commitment, especially since he didn't know the future. None of us know the future. I don't know what's going to happen five seconds from now. Yesterday we went to a memorial service. Friend of ours, he was in the ministry. Uh, we've known him probably 25 plus years, late 50s, <laughs> 59 this month. Uh, he was at a baseball game two weeks ago, his grandson's baseball game. They won. He was cheering. They were all cheering. He looked at his wife, sat down, said, I don't feel good. Had a massive heart attack. Never regained consciousness. Had his memorial yesterday. No one knows what's going to happen five seconds from now. So did this author know what was going to happen in the future? Did he? Hmm. Maybe he did. How about for you and I? Did this author understand, even way back when, that God works everything for the good? Romans 8.28. Now, if you're not familiar with that, please write it down, memorize it. Because we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And whatever he allows to come into our lives now, he's got a plan and he has a purpose. Are we willing to look to him? 
Or maybe did this author somehow fully grasp the concept that God has his best interest in mind, as Jesus makes reference to in Matthew 6, 8. Again, please look at these scriptures, memorize them, because they will help you when the future shows up. The future will show up. It happened this morning. You're here. That was the future at 7 a.m. Now you're here. The future's going to show up. So you want to know scriptures. You want to meditate upon them so that you base your life on the facts of the word of God and not on the feelings that you have at any set moment. Because we all know how that plays out. Maybe we all don't. You will, you young people. You want to be really, really careful with your feelings. I believe that the author does grasp and understand who God was and is. Think about this even without the whole counsel of God. This was written at least 2,500 years ago, because remember, this is the fifth book, the fifth hymnal book of the book of Psalms, and it was compiled after the exile years. So this is at least 24, 2450, 2,500 years old, at least. And it's still applicable to you and I today. This man knew, knew even without the whole counsel of God. So what do we have in our laps today from Genesis to Revelation? The whole counsel of God. So we should have the same mentality as this author has here. And what does he say? Praise the Lord. Well, I can't say that, Pastor. That'll freak somebody out. Say it. Just go in your bathroom. Say it. Start out saying it privately. I know my kids look at me. They've heard it me say it. I've been a Christian for 41 years. This is one of the first phrases I learned how to say. Not because I was supposed to say it. This is the Christianese. No, no, no. It's because I was going to hell. I was raised in a religion that believed in God, believed in Jesus, believed in the Holy Spirit, believed in heaven, believed in hell. Matter of fact, before you got to heaven, you had to go to purgatory, which was less hell, but it was still hell. To get to heaven. So I knew where I was going. And I wanted to get to heaven. So once I realized I was going to heaven, that if I took my last breath, this 26-year-old man, Gene, who led me to Christ, told me, when you take your last breath, you're going to take your first breath in heaven. I just said, praise the Lord. You mean I don't have to do all these things the church is telling me to do? No, you don't have to. You get to. It's a big difference, guys. Big difference. I get to praise God. I get to worship Him. I get to honor Him in my life throughout the day with however that looks. So this man says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Right now, out of the gate, the psalmist makes a commitment to praise the Lord with his whole being. And that's not easy commitment to make. But when you mature, and that's the word, that's key word right there. When you mature to that place of knowing God's goodness, even in the midst of turmoil, it can be done. You will be able to say, thank you, God. I don't get it. I don't like this. I don't know. I just, I don't understand. But I'm going to thank you now. Because your word says that you work all things together for the good. I have no idea how this is going to work out, but I'm going to thank you now. 
And you get in the habit of doing that, and when you hit your hand, when the four-year-olds are up on the roof and you're reshingling your roof like I was doing yesterday, and you smack your hand, oh, praise God. Get it out of the way, knucklehead. That hurt. What happened, Papa? Hammer hit finger, finger throbbing. <laughs> Don't do that, Papa. I know, I know, I know. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> but notice that he says soul. Notice that he says soul. And that seems pretty basic on the surface, but the soul is that part of a person that is unseen. You see, we can dissect the brain. Thank God, we've come a lot of advancements. They're studying the brain, they can dissect the brain. We can dissect the human heart, literally. Open heart surgery. It's amazing what we have been able to accomplish. But only the Word of God can dissect the soul. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is quick and is powerful, is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. Your spirit is what keeps you alive. When you die, your spirit leaves. Your soul goes to heaven. God takes, gives you the spirit. God takes the spirit. You're done. But now you're even going to heaven or you're going to hell. You know God, you know Jesus, you're going to heaven. You don't, you're going to hell. The decision is yours. Free will. And the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The heart. The heart. I thought you could dissect the heart. That's where if you're new to Christianity, you need to understand you have a soul. And in the Bible often talks about the heart. What it's saying is the soul. Someone might say to you, where's your heart at? Where's my heart at? It's it's a little bit to the left. It's right here. What are you talking about? Where's my heart at? So we want to make sure that when we talk to people, we explain these Christian terms. Because a new believer, just like when I was a new believer, there's a lot of things I just kind of, what, what does that mean? Why do you say that? What is... People had to explain it to me, and there's nothing wrong with asking questions. It's like when we say, you know, I love you with all of my heart. Has anybody ever said that? I love you with all of my heart. Anybody ever say that? Don't be afraid. I'm not going to stone you. You look at a little child. You just gave birth. Oh, I'm going to love you with all of my heart. What does that mean? What does that mean? What we're actually saying is that I will love you with all of my being, my whole being. My whole soul, which would include the brain, the thought life, the will, the intents, the commitment of all that I have. And that is what the author is proclaiming here. Everything I have, I'm giving to you, God. You see, this is what's unique about Christianity, is we get to give everything to God. And I don't know about you, but that that helps me so much to be able to give my wife to God, to, to give my children to God, to dedicate them when they're little. We love dedicating them when they're little. And then they become teenagers. It's like, what in the world happened? What happened? And we forget that we dedicate them to God and that they're building their testimony. 
Everybody has a testimony. Some make it easy, some make it very hard. But they build a testimony. You all in this room, I myself included, we're building a testimony. Today is a part of your testimony. What you do the rest of the day is going to be a part of your testimony. Good, bad, whatever it is. How's that playing out for you? How's it playing out for me? It's a part of our testimony. We want to be aware of that. Do we give it all to God or do we just give some of it to God? Again, I understand this is way easier to say than to actually accomplish, even for myself. I get tired, physically tired, just like you. And the Lord will ask me to do something. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to do that. But yet I do. But my flesh doesn't want to. But my heart, my soul, wants to. And so you push through. And you see the blessing that it is. And how you bless others. And encourage others, even with just a a minor visit to a hospital, how that can lift the spirits of somebody when you don't want to do it. I'm with you. I'm a human. It happens. Verse 2, while I live, notice, while I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Question, what's more natural to do? To complain or find fault with something or someone? Or to give praise or give thanks for something or someone? What is more natural to do? I include myself in this. It just comes naturally. We can pick anything apart or anybody. Well, if they just would have done this. Well, if they just would have said that. Well, if they would have dressed this way. Well, you know, if the the air conditioning would have been a little bit higher or a little bit, you know, constant evaluation. We are. I mean, that's just our, that's who we are. We're constantly evaluating. Why did that knucklehead stop at the stop sign? What are they doing? Can't they see a red stop sign? They were distracted. They were texting. Oh, wow. Now I understand. That makes perfect sense. Please don't text. Whether there's a law or not, please don't text. People are dying from other people texting. Very, very dangerous. Young people, don't text. I wasn't in my notes. I don't know. Just don't text. It's natural. You see, while I live, the author commits to praise the Lord. It would be really easy to praise the Lord in heaven, guys. I mean, really easy. You're not going to find anything wrong with heaven. You're not going to have one complaint. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too bright. It's too dim. Where's food? There's not enough food. There's not going to be one single complaint in heaven. You see, it's, it's kind of like planning a vacation. There's a lot that can go into planning a vacation. Now, when you plan a vacation, and I read an article, 60% of people that were uh, polled said they're not taking a vacation this year. They're not, they cannot afford to take a vacation this year. This is just stats. This is just reality. People don't know how to save. They know how to spend. They know what a credit card is, but they can't afford to go on a vacation this year, those who were polled. So the first thing that comes in your mind is, can we afford to go on a vacation? Well, if you save a little bit every week, like $5 or $10 a week, as we do, it's amazing, $250. Where can you go for $250? In the summertime, when it's hot here, you can go to a really, really, really nice resort. Really nice resort, get a meal, breakfast for free. What a deal. And you go out for lunch and dinner. You might not think that's a big deal, but for my wife and I who had four kids, little kids, that was huge to get away one night a week 
one night a, a year to a hotel. We actually did two nights at a hotel. I had to get her away. She was going insane. <laughs> she just got a budget. You got to learn how to budget. What's five bucks? Well, that's one. That's one Starbucks. That's not bad. Just skip one Starbucks. You have three or four a day. Just skip one. Just skip one. It works. How do we get there? How long do we stay? Maybe getting in shape. Previewing the things that we'd like to do. Getting things covered while we're gone. Which of that planning can bring about complaining about the trip? Why are we doing this anyways? I used to hate camping. Clay says, it's for the kids. I, I, I don't care about the kids. I hate camping. I hate camping. I did. I hated it. One time we went camping. Just popped in my head. This is why I hate camping. We get, we we got to get there at night, we, and we got a blue Chevy. I mean, it's a boat. It's a station wagon. Black leather seats, no air conditioning. We're in the mountains. It's night. We're going down these windy roads, bouncing all over the place. The kids think they're in Disneyland. <laughs> this is great. And it's like, don't go over the cliff, please. We get it all set up. Great. Two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Fortunately, our tent was on a slope. Because as the water came in, it, it just kind of congregated on that end of the tent. <laughs> I hate camping. I just hate it. Motel 8 sounds really good compared to camping. It's like... Hey. But you know, once you're there, and let's just say that everything lined up and it's an ideal vacation... You have a wonderful time and fantastic memories are with us for a long time. You see, I think the author clearly understood what heaven is going to be like. There will be praise automatically. Automatically, there will be praise. And there will be praise continually. There will be no voting, praise God. There will be no complaining. Again, there will be no finding faults. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Because guys, in heaven, it's going to be automatic. So get used to doing it on this side. Enjoy it on this side. Verses 3 and 4. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in, the, in a son of man, not the son of man, that's important, in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth. In this very day, his plans perish. I want to focus on this for a few moments. Here we find we need to be very careful. Again, as we read scriptures, you want to read from Genesis to Revelation. Because I've actually heard pastors say, and actually I listen to a lot of audio. I do better with audio versus reading. I actually heard a pastor say this two weeks ago. A very well-known pastor in Calvary. Loved the guy. He teaches phenomenally. But he said to his flock, don't trust me. Like, what? What? Don't trust me. I'm like, eh, no. Make sure you know the scriptures. Now, I get what they are ultimately saying and what he was ultimately saying. But we do need to trust one another. You see, trust is very important. And we learn at a very early age about the good or bad effects of trust. And those effects can last a lifetime. Let's look at Webster's definition of trust. It's confidence. As a reliance or resting of the mind on the integrity, justice, friendship, or sound principle 
of another person. And I love Uncle Webster. He was a Christian. And yes, in his dictionary, he quoted scriptures. This is not what I put in. This is in his original dictionary. He that puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Proverbs 29, 25. Proverbs 29, in his dictionary. (gasps) And you read the next definition and there's another scripture underneath that. You see, guys, we're to base our lives on the Bible. Young people, there's no such thing as separation of church and state. There's no such thing. This country was founded upon the word of God. Does that mean every founder was a Christian? No. There were atheists, there were deists. We know that. Does it mean all of our leaders were born again Christians? No. But a majority of them were, and they founded principles on this country in the cities, in the towns, based upon the word of God. Don't accept that lie. Do some research. Find out for yourself. The Bible was the premise for our government. It's phenomenal. So, can I trust those who are watching over me are some questions we might ask, especially at an early age. Can I trust the teacher's abilities and actions? Can I trust my siblings? I would have said no. My, my, my siblings were crazy. It was amazing that I lived. Just telling you the truth. I couldn't trust them. That's being programmed in. Can I trust social media? <laughs> Can you trust social media? Can I trust my friends? Can I trust my friends, you younger people? Can I really trust my friends? If I tell them something... Will they truly keep it to themselves or will it be on social media two minutes later, five minutes later, two days later, two years from now? Will it reappear? Be very, very careful with social media, guys. Don't ever believe that's deleted. It's not deleted. You see, all of this information is being compiled in our brains and then we run the program, which can be disastrous for some. As some people say, I can't trust anybody. I cannot trust anybody. Where did that come from? They, they met you. Maybe they were working next to you. You're like, you can't trust anybody? I'm, I'm looking. You can't trust me? You don't even know me. I can't trust anybody. But in reality, there are many people that can be trusted in our lives. You see, people will disappoint us. You stay here long enough, I will disappoint you. That's just a fact. Everyone fails. In different ways, and a level of trust may need to be rebuilt, reestablished. But it can absolutely be rebuilt. On what? The Word of God and prayer. See, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. The Bible says that no one's good enough to get to, oops, sorry. You see, there are wonderful, there are many wonderful examples of human trust, good and bad, throughout the Word of God. So, If the psalmist is speaking of day-to-day trust with our fellow man, there needs to be that trust is vital to our existence. But, read it again, do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man, a human being, in whom there is no help or salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to his earth, and in that very day his plans perish. 
So if the, if the psalmist is speaking as far as trust in the area of salvation or spiritual trust, then only God can be trusted with that. You see, no one can save themselves and no one can save another person. I was raised in a religion where if I confessed to a guy in a box, I would be saved through his prayers, through his forgiveness. But I had to keep going to the guy in the box. I had to keep going to the guy in the box. And if I didn't go to the guy in the box, boy, I was going to hell. The guy in the box. It wasn't the guy in the box. It was the guy that was still on the cross. Who's not on the cross. He's in heaven, seated at the right hand of his father. You gotta debug the program. You gotta debug the program. You gotta debug the program. Know who you're worshiping, who you're serving. Yet that's exactly what billions of people around the world are doing today. You see, if I just give a little bit more of my time, think religiosity here, and you might be here today thinking you're being religious because you came to this church service. You're being a fool. If you think you can get to heaven because you came to Calvary Chapel for a church service, you're being a fool. It doesn't get you anywhere. My efforts, maybe my finances, it would be good enough to get to heaven. Maybe if I just do a little bit more. I want to encourage you and tell you straight up, no, it won't. If you're trying to get to heaven by your own good works this morning, by coming to church, by giving, by doing whatever you think you're doing, you're not getting to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. You're not. You need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't work. The Bible says that no one's good enough to get to heaven apart from God or through His one and only Son, Jesus, because we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And that's why we have VBS. They're just stinking little sinners. They need to know very early on, you're a sinner and you need a Savior. Earlier, the better. Even statistically, the earlier, the better. Verses 5 through 7 I actually have these highlighted in my Bible. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help. And that word happy there is blessed. Blessed. You are blessed. You're not lucky. You're blessed. Happy. Blessed is he who has the God of Jacob for his help. Whose hope is in the Lord his God. Who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. Who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. Let's look at John chapter 8, verse 31 through 36. If you're newer visiting, there are Bibles in the chairs just below you. Encourage you to pick up a Bible, learn your Bible. If you need a Bible, take it with you. Praise God. If you're going to sell it for drugs, don't do that. Leave the Bible here. But if you need a Bible, take it. The guy, the team always does a great job. There's a slide up there. Get used to finding where these ch- books are. Very, very important. John chapter 8. Then Jesus said to those Jews, those religious elites, those who knew the word of God, guys, every Jew, think about this. In Jesus' day, when Jesus sat down to teach them about the Torah, they didn't get out a scroll. Oh, just a second, Jesus. Let me, let me turn to Deuteronomy. Only the religious elite had the scrolls. We are so privileged to not just have one Bible on our laps, but how many of you have more than one Bible at home? Two, three, four. How many of you have different apps with how many versions in that app? We are so blessed, guys. So blessed. So this is who he's talking to. You want to get that frame. He's not just talking to the 
to the common person who doesn't have the scriptures. He's talking very specifically to these people who know the word of God. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Guys, this is applicable to you and I. Are you a believer? Would you say you're a believer? Yes, I am. Okay, good. That makes you a disciple. Next question. You know this is coming. I know you guys hate this, but here it is. Are you reading from Genesis to Revelation on a regular basis? No. Well, then why do you call yourself a disciple? Because I am. Well, if you are, you're a lazy one. Don't be a lazy disciple. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, read from Genesis to Revelation. Not of rules, regulation, legalism, guilt, condemnation, none of that nonsense. Just take your Christianity seriously. Do you want to be a disciple? Not really. Okay, no problem. Your deal, not mine. But if you want to be a disciple, you abide in his word. And you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. (laughs) Hello? How about Egypt? Anybody remember Egypt? You weren't in bondage to anybody? How about the Assyrians? Babylonians? Anybody been in bondage to anybody? How about the Romans? Are you under bondage to Rome? We've never been in bondage to anybody. I'm religious. I've never been in bondage. How can you say you, we will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but the Son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son, capital S, Jesus, makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Well, so you get Galatians chapter 5. You shall be free indeed. So these are the words of Jesus. I think they're pretty serious. So we want to be very careful that we as believers don't do what the Corinthians were doing, and that's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. Stop having sex outside of marriage. Stop backbiting. Stop getting drunk. He wanted to keep them safe. Galatians chapter 5. I say then, walk in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are affairs, fornication. Does it say affairs? Don't ever, if anybody ever says I'm having an affair, just slap them upside the head. You're committing adultery. Let's get it right on the table. You're not having an affair. You're committing adultery. So adultery, it's a work of the flesh. Fornication, fornication is any sex outside of marriage. Homosexuality, bestiality, any sex outside of marriage. Uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, notice that, Paul has to repeat himself, that those who practice such things 
Notice that. That's important. Practice such things. She will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This will make you a super saint. A super saint. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, if we say we're believers, if we say we're disciples, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You see, what a blessing to be free from those things that used to hold us captive. Let me ask you a simple question. Were any of you held captive by anything that you can look back and go, man, I was in sin and I was held captive? Were any of you held captive by that? Anybody in this room? It's just reality. Now, what happens when we get free? We literally get free. But does that mean that it goes away? Does the temptation always go away? Not necessarily. Did the desire go away? Maybe not. So you have the flesh desiring that. So you feed the Spirit. How do you feed the Spirit? Through the Word of God, through prayer, through Scripture memorization, through meditation. You feed, you feed, you feed. And the Spirit keeps the flesh in check. The Spirit. But if you feed the flesh and feed the flesh and feed the flesh and feed the flesh, all of a sudden you find yourself going back. And the Bible makes this very, very clear. When you actually go back, and I have seen many Christians do this, the last state is worse than the first. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because you're running from the Holy Spirit, and you can never get away from the Holy Spirit. And He will allow you, oh, you want to be miserable? Be miserable. Be miserable. Have a good day. And you will be miserable. That's why you'd never want to go back. You don't want to feed the flesh. Verses 8 and 9. So verse 7 there, the Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. We're still unfortunately held captive in these bodies of flesh. We are still a prisoner until we take our last breath. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. You see, God is personal, and it's easy to forget that fact. He has a list here. It's a short list, but it's a list. It's a very personal list. He will reward those who seek after his face, and he will also judge those who do not. For time's sake, just write these scriptures down. Hebrews 11, 5. I'm going to read them real quick. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him, a rapture. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews, please write it down. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I don't get that, but I am so thankful he does. He will reward you. First Peter 4, again, I'm just going to read this real quick for time's sake. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin or from practicing sin. Obviously, we all sin, but it's that practice of sin. 
that he who no longer should live, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelries, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. In regards to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Stand up and say in any public setting, homosexual marriage is wrong and find out what your old friends say about you. Welcome to Christianity. You will be blasted as a homophobiac. I'm not afraid of homos. Please come. Love to lead them to Christ. not afraid of them at all. I don't want them to go to hell. That's what I'm afraid of. I don't want them to go to hell. So we need to speak the truth in love to the adulterer to the fornicator, to the cheater, to the liar, to the one spreading gossip on Facebook. Reach out to them. Say, stop it. That's not what a Christian should do. In regard to these, they think it's strange. Verse 5, they will give an account to him. They, the unbeliever, will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. As the music team comes up, we'll wrap it up in Psalm 146 with verse 10. The Lord shall reign forever. We touched on this a few weeks ago. How many kingdoms have come and gone over the last 6,000 years? And who's still sitting on the throne? God. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, your God, O Jerusalem, your God, O Israel. This is speaking about Israel. To all generations. What does he say? Praise the Lord. What's the, what's the conclusion of the whole matter? Praise the Lord. You see, God is reigning over all of the universe and will continue to do so throughout all generations. And here we are at least 2,500 years, as I've already mentioned, 2,500 years removed from this psalm and God is still on his throne. No one will ever be able to remove him, even though many have tried over the centuries. And Satan will ultimately try his best during those final seven years of human history known as the Great Tribulation. Yes, Calvary believes in the Great Tribulation. Seven years. All seven years, the Great Tribulation. But we already know the rest of the story. And here's the final slide. God wins. Amen? So since we know the rest of the story, what should we do? Whoever's in office, as we got to listen now for the next year and a half at who we should elect, Lord have mercy. Praise the Lord. Just praise the Lord, guys. Whatever happens in this week, again, we don't know. As we visited the family yesterday, the wife, Linda, please pray for Linda, seven children, they're, they're all in their 20s and older, but grandchildren, they miss Papa. What happened to Papa? Where did Papa go? Papa went to heaven. Papa went to heaven. We don't know what this week holds. Praise the Lord now. And get your head in that place so that when it does happen, you praise the Lord. You praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for being so good to us. We don't deserve it. 
But we thank you that you are good to us. Father, we thank you for the free gift of salvation. And Lord, we pray as saints right now, we pray for the aints. We pray for anyone in this room who does not know Jesus as their Savior, that they would come up after this service, that they would come directly to the front of this room, and that they would say, I need Jesus. They would not play with their eternal state. Lord, I know, according to your word, that you are granting them repentance right now to turn to you if they so choose. So we pray for their free will, Father, that they would turn to you now, that they would come forward and ask Jesus to be their Savior today. Lord, for the rest of us, as we go out into our mission field, help us to be aware of our surroundings this week. Help us to be available to minister, however that plays out, whatever that looks like. For your glory, Father, Let our light so shine that those around us will see the good works and they will glorify our Father who is in heaven. Use us this week, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's all stand, guys. God bless you. Have a great week. Again, if you're 50 or older and you'd like to come out to our house, if you need directions, let us know. We'll give it to you. And I know some of you are sad that you're 50 or over. You know, just get over it and come on out anyways. It's a blast. I'm 49. (laughs) Savior, He can move the mountains. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty. He is mighty to save Forever Author of salvation He rose and conquered the grave Jesus conquered the grave Savior, Savior He can move the mountains My God is mighty to save He is mighty Forever, author of salvation He rose and conquered the grave Jesus conquered the grave Shine your light, shine your light And let the whole world see Sing it for the glory of the risen King Jesus, shine your light Yes, Lord.